Thank you for tuning in today and welcome back to another episode of The Source. I'm your host, San Rosa. Before I start this interview, I would like to share with you an important news. Glenn Greenwald, the Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and the publisher of the Snowden Leaks, has just released a video which documents how YouTube, which is owned by Google, is censoring content from independent alternative media channels that are taking a critical stance on NATO and uh, the role of Ukraine. I will provide the link to this video in the description below. Even though we have 140,000 subscribers and have been asking our viewers to join us on Rumble and Telegram in case a censorship occurs, only 3,000 to 4,000 people have joined these channels. So please, if you're watching this video, make sure to join these channels. The link to all of these platforms are provided in the description below. Today I'll be talking to Dr. Sheer Hever, who is an independent journalist, economic researcher and author. He's also the military embargo coordinator of the BDS movement. Dr. Sheer Hever, thank you so much for your time today. On July 3, 2023, the Israeli military conducted a so-called operation in the Jenin refugee camp in the Israeli-occupied West Bank. According to many Western media networks, it was Israel's largest military operation in the West Bank since the Second Intifada, and the Israeli government called it Operation House and Garden. Before we get into the details, which I will discuss in the next question of this interview, could you first provide us with some context to Janine and also talk about the socio-economic conditions in which the population resides there? Sure. Uh, Janine is not just a city, but it's also a refugee camp, uh, which is at the heart of the city. Uh, it's actually a very small city. So in Janine, we have uh, uh, less than 50,000 people and the refugee camp is another 40,000 more or less. So altogether, we're talking about a rather small uh, area, for, in, especially if you compare it to the size of the Israeli military operation with tanks and helicopters and, and brigades. <laughs> so, so it's really uh, almost absurd. But Jenin is, is a city which has uh, uh, suffered very, very much under the Israeli occupation uh, for many years. It has been a symbol for Palestinian steadfastness in the face of occupation because of the Freedom Theater, for example, uh, and um, of Jenin, where people use culture as a means of resistance. And also, more recently, Jenin, as well as Nablus, have become cities that openly rebel against the Palestinian Authority. So they refuse to be part of the Palestinian Authority um, system of, of uh, security cooperation with the Israeli government. And even the Palestinian Authority security forces in Jenin just tell their bosses, tell their officers, we cannot, uh, we cannot work with you because the population will just simply not accept it. So Palestine, so Jenin has become a sort of symbol for Palestinian uh, steadfastness, rebellion, and the demand for freedom. Can you talk more about this refugee camp? Where are these refugees from, and what conditions are they living in? Most of the refugees in Jenin come from Haifa. Haifa uh, is a city uh, which a, a very famous Palestinian city on the Mediterranean coast. Uh, and Jenin is not very far away, but even though it's maybe 20 kilometers, 30 kilometers away from Haifa, um, it's not. many people in Jenin have never seen the sea because they've never been allowed on the other side of the separation wall, um, so uh, the apartheid wall. Um, in 1948, the um, Zionist militias that took over uh, Palestine have used mortars to scare the civilian population of Haifa into leaving. Uh, and what they actually did is drive people towards the seaport and, and tried to drive them into the sea. 
Uh, there is this sort of myth that the Arabs want to throw the Jews into the sea. Uh, this is not true. But the myth comes from the, the fear that uh, Israeli Jews have uh, that uh, Palestinians will want to seek revenge for the same act that they did against Palestinians in 1948. At the time, the British mandate, which uh, the British military was still around, they were on their way out, and they arranged for boats to rescue Palestinian refugees and take them mostly to Lebanon. But uh, there were, uh, at the time of 1948, Jenin was... Uh, uh, taken over by Jordan it, as part of the West Bank. Jordan took over the West Bank. So uh, Jordan allowed refugees to come from Lebanon and live in Jenin and arranged a refugee camp there, uh, which was also uh, financed and um, operated by the United Nations. Uh, but uh, after 67, these people who uh, escaped uh, for their lives uh, or were driven out in 1948, uh, came once again under control of the Israeli forces. The Tagesschau show in its July 3rd segment called Janine, quote, the largest retreat of militant Palestinians. In the Western media generally, the Israeli defense statements are recycled and this sort of military move is often called a military operation, while other foreign channels such as, for example, Al Jazeera, classified as an attack or an assault. How would you define this operation? What really happened in Jenin and what were, were the intended goals the Israeli military was trying to achieve? Well, the, the way that the German media is covering this story is uh, barely worthy of, of coverage, I think. Uh, uh, the Tats newspaper called Jenin a uh, powder keg. Uh, I don't uh, see any more le absurd levels of blaming the victim than I see in the German media, as if the Palestinians are to blame for being so attractive to Israeli bombs and bullets. Uh, that's that's uh, uh, ridiculous. No, the reason that uh, the Israeli forces chose to attack Jenin is not because Jenin has some strategic value or there were some people there that they wanted to arrest. Uh, they didn't make arrests. Let's make that very clear. Uh, they attacked for 45 hours. They killed 12 people, five children. Uh, and they uh, didn't make any arrests. They achieved zero strategic goals. The only reason that they chose Jenin was that they wanted to help preserve the Palestinian Authority as much as possible. And if they've chosen a Palestinian city which was still under control of the Palestinian Authority, that, that would probably cause the collapse of the Palestinian Authority. The Palestinian Authority itself has been speaking to the people of Jenin for a while. And there was even a visit by uh, President Mahmoud Abbas immediately after the attack, where they tell the people, look, if you cooperate with us, uh, of course, you don't like our politics, but at least we can protect you because the Israelis are not going to launch an attack into a city like Ramallah, which is uh, still loyal to the Palestinian Authority. Uh, so be like Ramallah and and, uh, and be part of it. And the people of Jenin say, well, uh, freedom is more important than uh, safety. Uh, but but that doesn't make them terrorists. I'm, I think it, every every human being would uh, agree with that statement. So so just to put that uh, right there on the table. But you wanted the context for this attack. Uh, this can only be understood in the context of the severe crisis that is happening in Israel right now, with a far right government, more right wing than any uh, in history, and uh, protests that are against the government which pretend as if Israel used to be a democratic state and trying to return to this uh, 
uh, illusory state of democracy, but uh, the the government, the Netanyahu's government or Netanyahu himself is very, very careful about exploiting this internal rift to his own purposes. And as long as it seems like these two forces are more or less balanced, he can do whatever he wants. The problem is what happens if one side becomes more powerful than the other? And the attack on Janine happened at the beginning of the week, but uh, just before that, on Saturday night, there was the big demonstration, uh, which in in Tel Aviv, uh, where where um, Israeli from the Israelis from the liberal Zionist movement uh, uh, were against the government, were protesting, and on that protest there was the anti-occupation block, which which comes to those demonstrations. It's rather small pitifully small block, unfortunately, of, of Israelis who say you cannot have democracy with occupation. The, the very least, if we're talking about democracy and opposing the government, is we have to recognize that the occupation has to end. And they have some signs about um, um, Palestinian rights or, or maybe a couple of Palestinian flags with them. Um, not many, unfortunately. The ma- majority of the protesters in Tel Aviv on that Saturday evening launched a physical attack against the anti-occupation bloc. They broke their signs, they beat them up, uh, they drove them away. The police, of course, uh, offered no assistance to the anti-occupation bloc because who wants to help the the leftists? Uh, But this sent a very clear message. There is no balance between the opposition and the government or or the far-right elements within the government. Netanyahu knows that the far-right is having a very strong lead and the opposition is turning against itself and is collapsing from inside. So in that moment, he wants to appease the far-right elements. And that is why the attack on Janine. Bezalel Smotrich uh, is the head of the far-right religious uh, Zionism party, and he's also the minister of finance. But most importantly, he's the governor of the West Bank. By appointing him to be the governor of the West Bank, Israel has effectively annexed the West Bank because it allows the Israeli government to make political decisions of an occupied territory. That is in complete violation of international law and also in violation of Israel's former uh, policy of allowing a military government to make those decisions uh, in the name of of, uh, technocratic uh, decisions or professional decisions instead of uh, the political echelon. Uh, so Betalel Smotrich uh, has famously made uh, announced his decisive plan on how to deal with the Palestinians. Uh, and when asked the question, how are you going to deal with the fact that the Palestinians, there are so many, and, and they are already the majority uh, in Palestine, and, and Jews are a minority now. Uh, I say Palestine, I mean the whole area. Um, then Smotrich said, uh, Palestinians will have three options. They can obey us. They, and, and give up any kind of political rights, or they can leave, or they can die. This is his decisive plan. Now he's the governor, and now this operation in Janine was in many ways a manifestation of that plan. So we can talk about what actually happened during the attack, and I think it's important to mention some of those facts, but let's talk about what the people on the ground reported and the Palestinians who, who uh, live in Janine said, what we experienced is the Israeli soldiers driving us out of our homes, giving us just a few minutes to collect like a suitcase with uh, an extra set of clothes and maybe something to, to eat or drink. And then we, we were driven out at gunpoint 
in a large column of people outside of the city of Jinin. So, flanked by soldiers who are pointing their guns at them. This scene was a scene that reminded everybody of 1948. This is the second option in Bezalel Smotrich's decisive plan, leave. In other, way, in other words, ethnic cleansing. And it wasn't an actual ethnic cleansing because people were allowed to return to their homes after a few hours, but it was a dry run. It was a test. And that is something we really need to take from this uh, attack that the Israeli government wanted to tell the soldiers, look, we know what you really want to do, so we're going to let you train for that. And we also want to scare the Palestinians into submissiveness. So we're going to show them that if they dare stand up for their rights, uh, we're going, we are capable of ethnic cleansing. Uh, so, so that's, I think, the context for the attack. You, you talked about expulsion, uh, annexation, uh, and a military assault. Uh, can you talk about the reaction of the international community, in particular, uh, the West, uh, that is so critical uh, uh, of these terms when Russia does this in Ukraine? How have they reacted uh, to this? Um, well, uh, almost no, uh, no responses from the West. There were a few very weak condemnations. The European Union has actually invited uh, the Israeli government to resume negotiations on upgrading the association agreement for the trade relations between the EU and Israel. And uh, Israel is very happy about this. Now, in the association agreement, there is a clause which is obligatory, that's a, a clause number two, that says that uh, the agreements are co a, a contingent on both sides uh, respecting human rights and international law. So the European Union actually is obligated uh, to cancel the association agreement with Israel. And instead, they are offering to upgrade it. I think uh, there's going to be a time where some uh, European politicians will stand trial for complicity with war crimes. Uh, we, we already see senior uh, scholars of international law saying that the Operation Engineering was indeed a war crime. And uh, we expect that the International uh, Criminal Court will start investigation against uh, the criminals who, who are uh, involved in it. You know that uh, you mentioned Ukraine and Russia. Putin it, uh, has been uh, indicted by the International Criminal Court. And as a result, he's not able to travel to a conference in South Africa because South Africa, as a signatory, is obligated to arrest him and deliver him to The Hague to, to stand trial. So he doesn't go. Uh, we, I think it is uh, hy hypocritical that uh, Netanyahu can travel and not be arrested. Uh, uh, they, they absolutely have to start uh, indictment against him as well and against the heads of the military and the Minister of Defense and against Smotrich, of course, uh, and uh, Itamar Benvir, the Minister of National Security. These are the people who are giving the orders to use disproportionate force against civilians, and these are clearly illegal. Um, so in that sense, the response is very disappointing. You mentioned the West, but it's not just the West. Uh, Morocco has uh, bought Israeli drones in very large numbers. And those are precisely the same drones that were used in Jenin. So these are attack drones armed with heavy missiles. Morocco bought them. Uh, I'm talking about the Hermes drones, Hermes 900 by Elbit Systems, the uh, Heron TP drone, which is produced by uh, Israeli Aerospace Industries, which Germany has also shamefully bought. And um, 
suicide drones, like the Herop and the Harpy. These are drones that um, are, uh, blow themselves up on top of a target and are uh, very uh, cruel and uh, aggressive and cause a lot of panic and suffering uh, and death, of course. Morocco bought these drones and Israel uh, just a week later announced that it recognizes the Moroccan occupation of West Sahara. So you can see how how things are progressing. It's not just a problem with the West. It's a problem that is uh, widespread. Uh, but of course, there are also positive uh, things. I, I don't want to just focus on the negative. Let's also recognize the fact that the European Parliament has voted with a very large majority to endorse the uh, indictment of Israel uh, uh, in the international court of justice, as well as, uh, as, as a side clause to support indictment in the International Criminal Court. This is very important because until now, it, it, Europe, almost all uh, the members of the EU are, or maybe all of them, I'm not sure, are member, uh, signatories to the Rome statutes of the International Criminal Court and the International uh, uh, Court of Justice. So it matters a lot what the European Union says. And until now, Germany has tried to defend Israel against that indictment. And uh, the former uh, former uh, um, minister of uh, foreign affairs of, of Germany, uh, Heiko Maas, said that um, he doesn't think that Palestine is a state and therefore the uh, International Criminal Court, International Court of Justice should not start proceedings against Israel which is a very weak argument, considering the fact that there are 138 countries in the world that recognize Palestine as a state. Germany is not one of them, but Germany is in the minority here. And maybe uh, the solution is not to try to cover up for Israeli war crimes, but instead to recognize Palestinian statehood. Dr. Schirheber, we will be in touch with you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Zain. And thank you for tuning in today. Once again, please don't forget to join our alternative channels on Rumble, Telegram, and Podbean. The links to these platforms are provided in the description below. And if you're watching our videos regularly, please make sure to take into account this entire camera team working behind the scenes from audio, light, technicians, in the case of our German videos, translation, voiceover. So in case if you're watching regularly, make sure to donate. If all our viewers today, all 140,000 subscribers donate just one to five euros a month, we will be able to cover our costs for the next five years and provide you with daily non-profit news and analysis. I'm your host, Zayn Raza. See you guys next time.